Hey everybody, Ray Lucchese here. Jason Collier here. Welcome to another sponsored episode of the Greybeards on Storage podcast, a show where we get Greybeards bloggers together with storage assistant vendors to discuss upcoming products, technologies, and trends affecting the data center today. And now it is my pleasure to introduce Adi Gelvin, co-founder and CEO of SpeedDB, so, Adi, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what SpeedDB is all about? Great. Thanks for having me today. Uh, so, um, Adi, I'm a former techie, um, math and computer science guy, uh, went through um, the IT route, uh, including IT management, then uh, gradually moved to business. And... Uh, at some point, I started working for uh, storage startups. Made a career in storage, was a part of the founding XIV team, then uh, the Infinidat team, and uh, led the worldwide business of, of Infinidat, which is uh, where I found my co-founders of SpeedDB, by the way. And um, during our work in, in Infinidat, we came to the point where we had to choose a, um, an effective engine to manage the metadata. Um, we've seen the sprawl of metadata. Everyone's talking about it in the past decade. And uh, one of the issues that we had was how do we manage metadata in an effective way? And the obvious choice was to go for one of the storage engines in the market. Storage engines are those um, complicated software layer that actually manages the metadata within systems that no one has ever heard about unless you're a storage guy or a database guy. We're a data structures guy. <laughs> and um, we went to the market and we looked at uh, what um, what we, we could find. And um, my co-founders, Hilik and Mike, they, they said, okay, let's go for the most prevalent one, which was RocksDB. Um, RocksDB is a, started actually as the brainchild of Google called LevelDB and then forked by Facebook. They named it RocksDB. And they said, uh, Facebook can't go wrong, right? RocksDB is being used by thousands of clients worldwide, uh, large community or user base, if I may call it, and uh, being used everywhere by the biggest companies in, in the world. So um, they tried to embed it within uh, the storage and they saw that it was working really great in small data sizes, but when the data size grew up, it, it had some issues like stalls and IO hangs and uh, instability in uh, in uh, performance, excess usage of CPU and memory. High variability kind of things. Yeah, yeah. And it, it uh, raised some questions. Um, how, how come all Facebook is being actually managed, the data in Facebook is being managed by RocksDB and on a single storage machine, it, it really can't scale. And when they looked into the into the problem and spoke to Facebook and to the community, it realized they realized that uh, there is a workaround called charting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, storage engines in general, and it doesn't matter if they're B-tree based or LSM based, they were actually used to manage metadata. So they were designed to manage very effectively small data sizes. Right. When it pertains to large data sizes, uh, the data structure was just not built to scale. So what you're doing, you're, you're sharding the problem, you're getting the maximum size that the storage engine can manage, and then you split it to several nodes and you allegedly solve the problem, which is cool, but not so cool because uh, sharding has its toll. 
you need to uh, write your software different. You really need to take care of the sharding and um, and the flexibility of the sharding, how to scale up, how to scale down. You really need to write code differently. Yes. Yeah, so, so you're talking about, let's say, the metadata within a storage system, like defining blocks and deduplication things and you know where volumes lie and stuff like that. So we're talking pretty intense, real-time dependent metadata, right? Yes, and I, we started with storage, but when you look at it on a broader view, you see that all the databases are actually dependent on the metadata and uh, storage engines, and applications today are actually managing their metadata by themselves, so they're dependent too. So you, you realize that the thing called metadata, which was really hidden because it was really small, is now growing pretty fast, and you know, people who haven't heard this... Um, you know the term metadata when you're in storage database or data market, but now everybody knows it because it sort of be became a problem. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's so prevalent to the industry anymore. And and those software layers who are actually managing the metadata in charge of it are the storage engines, which were not built to um, support large data sizes. So you either shard it or work around. Um, and by the way, the worst problem of sharding is that is the CFO. The CFO needs to pay the price of sharding, which is more development, uh, more resources. And of course, if you're on the cloud, then more instances. No one wants to pay the role of sharding. And two, is it when you get into sharding as well, you see a lot of the kind of the eventual consistency components, right? Um, I'm sure I see it on Facebook all the time, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, you know, um, it's a nice, not nice, but a rather easy workaround, better than changing the code of a storage engine um, and the data structure. But um, then we realized that everyone was actually sharding the problems. And when we spoke to the community and to Facebook, we got answers like, no, this is how it's working. So people are really treating a storage engine as an atom, as a one component, Whereas my, my co-founder said, no, no, let's, let's look inside. Let's explore the field of LSM trees. Let's explore the field of B trees. And when they did that, they said, okay, this is a cool thing. So there is a, a very important component here that everyone uses. Um, now it needs to change um, and no one really put thought of how to scale it. So let's try and do something of my own. So, so let me try to unpack some of this, Adi, you, you mentioned LSTM. So that's log structured tree merge. LSM. And, and what do those things look like? Are they effectively, uh, so I, all right. So SpeedDB and RocksDB uh, are essentially a key value store. So you're mapping some arbitrary key of arbitrary length to arbitrary data. It could be binary data, it could be integers, it could be floating point, it could be, you know, the text of the Gettysburg Address or something. It doesn't matter, right? It's just some key to some value. Yes. Right, right. So how does LSTM fit in? Okay, so it's LSM, LSM. Oh, okay. Three, three it's log structure it's merge. Log structured merge tree, yes. So I'm familiar with log structure files, but not log structure merges. No, okay, so so um, the world of storage engines is um, divided, um, if I can, 
into two data structures. One is B-tree, the ones you see um, in Oracle, like InnoDB. These are binary trees that are very, very, um, they are um, like trees with many, many leaves and they have to be balanced. So when you search data, um, um, your search is gonna be consistent. And binary trees are very, very effective in read operations, but very, very bad in write and update because you always have to rebalance the, the tree, which takes CPU and memory and space. So, and, and then um, you have the LSM trees, log structure merge tree trees, which are actually built different. They're built in a form that you write data to the cache, to the RAM, and then you flush the cache into um, SSDs, which are um, immutable files. So the write operation is very, very fast, but what you get is you get lots of immutable files with duplicated data, which you have to merge. That's why I call it log structured merge tree. The merge operation, after you've written very, very fast, is very expensive because now you have to really merge and order those and when you do it, you actually write them to the next place, which is the next level and the next level. And then you end up with really um, fast writes. But when you come to read it, then you have to search all those files. So there is this process called compaction, which is merging those into a different level. I feel like I'm a, I'm a professor of third year in science. <laughs> That's all right. Sorry. Sorry for okay. that. We're good at this but, stuff, so it just it just takes us a while to get up to speed in the terminology. So, so in in the LSM trees, you you get very very fast writes, but you pay the price of reads. Mm -hmm. Okay, and the compaction is what goes through, let's say, the LSM segment and reduces the duplication and orders it and and uh, merges multiple segments or blocks together into a single larger block and that sort of stuff. It's called SSD files. The cache flushes files that are ordered and the compaction actually uh, combines them and gathers them to uh, larger files that are ordered so you'll be able to fetch the data faster. Mm -hmm. And what does this do to like write amplification? So in a storage SSD, for instance, um, it's possible that some data block could be written multiple times on the storage as it goes through compaction and, and uh, garbage collection and those sorts of things. It would seem in this solution that there might be some right amplification. Right, so the, the biggest challenge of storage engines is the right amplification. So let me say two words about right, right amplification. Right amplification is, um, or the right amplification factor is how many times do you have to um, write uh, logically or physically write one block to get one logical write. So when you write your name into a, a file or a storage, if you have five letters, you may find yourself with a write amplification factor of 30x. So you might need to write uh, 150 uh, physical writes, which includes um, writing, flushing, garbage collection, uh, reassembling the data, um, and doing over and over so it will be written in the right place. 
and the right amplification factor we see normally is close to 30x. Uh, 30x seems obscene. I mean, I'm thinking right application for SSDs to maybe be 1.7, maybe two or something like that. Yeah, you're 30x seems to be. Yeah, I'm writing. I'm writing one byte, and I'm actually writing 30. Yeah. So when you're talking about SSDs, then the write amplification is internal, which is mainly the garbage collection operations. When you're talking about a database or an application, the write amplification can be e even larger. So um, I was going to say, is that amplification also part of, let's say, the garbage collection that's going on within the solid state drive itself is basically that's one amplification factor. And no, then you got the application. No, no, he's, talking about, no that's he's talking about that's physical rights to storage. Right, yeah. right. You, you have to multiply the 30x with the right amplification of the hard drive or the SSD, which will bring it, you know, to 60 or 70. We even see 100 sometimes. So, so that's where you get that order of magnification right, issue, right? Yeah. Right. right. So, so why do we have this right, right amplification? Because, for, for example, if you write, if you update a B tree, you want to put a letter into a B tree. Sometimes you really have to balance the B tree so much that you have to move many objects or many leaves to the other side so you can actually put one, one letter. All these writes, they are part of the write amplification. In LSM trees, the write amplification is mainly the compaction, the, the combining those files together and writing them to the next level. And what we see in the market that 30x is a reasonable number um and and we said okay Reasonable. these things <laughs> that's what you see and and ac actually the the larger your data set is um the higher the right amplification factor will be and what we saw yeah what we saw in storage engines that the right amplification factor is not really bad when it's small sizes and when it's small sizes and the data fits into the ram then you you know you can do many mistakes in the RAM. It like you know suffers everything. Becomes but like a write buffer get, almost. You know. Right, right. When you write into slower media, then the effect of the write amplification is much higher. I was going to say, you two, as a serial entrepreneur, when you see numbers like oh thirty times, that's that's a reasonable number. I bet you saw market opportunity, right? Right, right. So <laughs> what we what what we did, we went to the best benchmarks and every workload, and, and we said, okay, can we improve it? We've seen that there have been tons of academic researches on LSM trees and B trees and RocksDB. These are very, very um, you know, prevalent sto storage engines. So the ac academia has really done some, some you know, good research. And with the current technology of a regular L LSM tree, you could really get it down to 15x, 14x. So we said, can we do it better? Um, so my co-founders left, they sat at home for about a year, and they found a way to actually redesign the LSM tree to a different data structure and reduce the write amplification factor to 5x. And that's for any arbitrary size metadata? I mean, from in megabytes to yes. the terabytes in kind of thing? In marketing and in PowerPoints, yes. In real life, <laughs> I know, in real we're life, real world here, Adi. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. In in real world, um, 
the answer is mostly yes. We are still struggling with some workloads, uh, but I think that what we've done really, really good is we've built a data structure that can actually uh, support terabytes of metadata. Um, on, on average, reach uh, five or six X route amplification. And when you compare that to what you have in the market, you realize that eventually there's a, an order of magnitude of performance and scalability and efficiency that we can actually do. So we see today with clients that we enable them to run 50 node clusters on five nodes. Mm. We allow them to increase the data set from uh, tens of gigabytes to hundreds of gigabytes and to terabytes of data with no performance degradation. Okay. So this is what we're looking for. And yes, um, I, I can tell you that I, I have a saying in the PowerPoint, everything works great. When it goes to the lab, 80% is working great. When you meet customers, nothing's working. So yeah, well, what we've done, <laughs> yeah. What yeah, it's, it's kind of the, the development life cycle, right? Runs great in PowerPoint and then, uh, then actually working. That's the uh, next step. Yeah, uh, there's a joke. I, I, I heard someone say that God created the world in seven days because it didn't have user base. <laughs> Somewhere around so, day six, I think he created the user base, but that's a different story. Yeah, so, right. so um, um, yeah, please. So uh, do you want to talk about what you did to LSM to make it faster? Or is it, is it is obviously it's IP to uh, SpeedDB and all that stuff. Um yeah, but but, but I can give you some nice hints and you know yeah, yeah. give you the way we thought about the, the the problem. So when you look at an L, at an LSM tree, you, you have two dimensions. One is the number of levels. Second is the width or the size, right? So yeah. you can actually play with the number of levels and the sizes of of those levels, and you can decide to do it with less levels and to um, write faster. You can do it with more levels and read better from the bottommost levels, but you have to really pay the right amplification because you need to compact them. So there is a, there is a simple trade-off between the yeah, number of levels and, yeah. And what you said, okay, now, now playing with two axes, X and Y is pretty limited. Why don't we think of a data structure that will actually add dimensions to the structure. Why don't we look at multiple dimensions? Think about what 3D XPoint did to um, the SSDs, to the NAND, right? Um, we Maybe added more dimension. <laughs> and, and more endurance. So what we did, we added more dimensions that enables us actually to look at the data from different places and to actually merge them on different, um, Planes? I would say verticals. So we can actually look at this data structure, think about um, multi-dimensions, and now we can um, merge between uh, the Z-axis and the Y-axis, and then the X-axis and the Y-axis, and, and we can create all all kinds of small data structures within this data structure that will allow us to control when compaction is done to what data and really control and give us another level or 
um, additional levels of granularity. So that helps us to write very, very fast because we control the write. But it enables mm -hmm. us to control where we read from and when. And we can now control when we do the compaction. Now, the good news is that it actually works. This is great. The bad news is that with such a complicated data structure, if you're looking about very, very small sizes of data, then we, we don't really yeah. have an advantage, right? Yeah. We, we kind of complicate the problem. So if you're really working on small, small data sizes, um, you'll get, you may get some benefit, but, but not really a meaningful one. But what we see is, is that we see less and less clients with small data sizes. Data is yeah, just I mean, booming. Luckily, the, the data, data world is going big, not small. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, data yeah, is yeah. working with us. Yeah. Exactly. You're, you're, you're playing the trend, which is always good for a startup. Um, yeah. One of the nice things else... is that, uh, <laughs> this is nice. Uh, one of the nice things that when, when we solved, when we built our data structure, we said, wow, this is cool. But then we said, okay, we've changed this. Now, now we need to change some other components like bloom filters and write flow and things that are really intertwined within this data structure. So from changing the compaction, we find ourselves um, changing more and more structures within the LSM tree. So we find ourselves really writing the whole thing from scratch. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, we thought it would be very, very easy, but uh, we still keep on changing stuff so we can actually um, enable the, the you know, um, there are no things as, you know, no trade-offs. There are always so trade-offs. Let me just yeah. talk a little bit here. So a bloom filter is used to identify whether um, I'll call it a specific key exists in the metadata. And what you do is effectively, I don't know, you hash the key somehow, you get a couple of, you know, you get a bit pattern and you, and you or this, or I guess, <laughs> yeah, you or this into a, a larger bit pattern. And then when you, Somebody comes back with that key. Uh, you can you can you can check to see if that and you do an and to see if it exists and, and stuff like that. But the problem with the bloom filter is you have to clear it every once in a while, right, for it to work properly. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the way it works? I mean, it's yeah, not like so, you could so go in and 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 do the hash and do an XOR to get rid of it out of the bloom filter because there are plenty of other keys that could potentially map to some of those bits. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so you touched the pain point here because, uh, so, so one thing Bloom filter is it gives you um, the probability that um, a certain key will be within that S SSD file, um, but it will not be necessarily there, right? So, yeah. um, if you want to get better um, probability, you need to define a large Bloom filter, which is yeah. great, but it will take your memory. Yeah. And then when you want to clear it and update it, it will kill you. Uh, yeah. Excuse my French. <laughs> uh, so we need to say, okay, how do we improve our search abilities um, without really um, uh, growing the memory? Be, memory and, and yeah, right? all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we needed to define new ways to actually map SSTs in a Bloom filter and still keeping it small. And find effective ways to clean and update them. So, so this is also one thing we had to uh, you know take care of. This is pretty complicated. This stuff, um, yeah. 
being being the CEO actually give us gives me uh, the opportunity not to be able to tell about these things because I don't necessarily understand, understand it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's no risk, you know, of me telling you. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, hey, since, since you're CEO, I'll, I'll, I'll shoot, a, shoot another question. Is there a specific killer app or a market segment that, that you really uh, uh, like to target and think that this technology is just perfect for? When we started, um, the obvious place to go was database market, right? Yeah. Database scale, the the storage scales, and uh, the layer in between doesn't scale. So so naturally, this was our, our our place. Every database provider today is moving into database as a service, and their challenges is not the scalability, but the price they pay for this scalability. And with the current storage engines, you're actually forced to use a huge amount of infrastructure to support the data. And with our technology, um, yeah, 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 yeah. with our technology, we can actually enable you to grow on a single node much bigger. So we can actually um, save you a lot of money. Um, so this was the obvious place. If if you could get, uh, if you could provide, if we could provide you more performance, more scalability, and more efficiency, this sounds like a win-win-win. Um, but when we explore this market, we saw that not only database. Today, you have more and more applications that are actually managing their own metadata. Data is, is the new oil. Every application yeah. needs um, its, its data. The more you can do with your data, the more you control the data, you actually get, get more benefit. And you see more and more applications, fintech, blockchain, um, cybersecurity that are managing their metadata directly. And guess what storage engine they use? RocksDB normally. RocksDB, yeah. Yeah. So so we we are one and a half years old. Every month we're finding more and more use cases. Some of them are pretty straightforward, some of them are not. But one thing is clear that metadata is growing. It's not waiting for a new technology to to, to be there. And the challenges grow. And we definitely see that more and more use cases uh, from cybersecurity company, banks, um, database providers, storage providers, cloud the, the providers. The whole ML stuff, the machine learning and the data mm -hmm. features and stuff like that, it's all, to a large extent, it's, it's metadata. It's associated with the uh, classification stuff. It's it's impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Are, are you yeah. seeing huh. here, I was going to say, are you seeing any yeah. particular target, um, uh, I guess, we, so if you think of like cloud data center edge, um, all of those components, do you see any of those particularly being a kind of a, uh, a hot spot for your technology. Um, interesting, you mentioned edge. So um, yeah. we, when we started, everyone was saying, "Go to the edge, uh, edge. Go to the fog." Um, tons of innovation there. I mean, things are going there. We we think that when we explore this market, we found that people are talking about it a lot, aiming there. Uh, we didn't see any real production or real life growth in these places yet. I'm sure it's on the way, but uh, we didn't see really large data sizes or, or, or companies really being able to harness uh, the edge and the, and the fog on, on a large scale. We know there's lots of in innovation and 
cloud providers aiming there, but we, we haven't really seen this market as mature enough. But lucky for us, we have other many mature markets <laughs> that are struggling yeah. with this. And I think that the, um, you know, there are always trade-offs. We are an embedded library, very um, techy embedded library, which means that we can fit in the lowest places with almost every application there. Um, on the other side, we are not on the front of the application. So you really need to get to the heart of the application and, and do your magic there. So the good news is that we see tons of opportunity. The bad news is that um, the technology is not really visible to the end user, right? So I would say it's also um, not easily adaptable, I would think, right? Uh, I think one of the smart things or one of the smart decisions we made initially, which was probably more luck than sense, we decided to be compatible with RocksDB and to stay compatible. Oh, so every RocksDB client can actually drop and replace. It's as simple as that 30 seconds. You drop and replace and it's working. Um, with other storage engines, there are some things you need to do, but um, right now we're aiming the RocksDB, we're targeting the RocksDB market, lots of application, lots of customers. And when we're done with that, we will um, increase our support to, to other key value stores APIs. Somewhere I saw in, the, in your documentation that um, you reduced or compacted the key size rather than being some arbitrary key, let's say 256 bytes uh, you've compressed it into something like 24 bits, three bytes, something. That's why I can't believe I saw that. So you could fit all um, this stuff in memory. I'm not really sure what you're talking about. Um, okay, that's all right. Well, yeah, we'll save that yeah. for another time. Yeah, I'm not really, really sure, but I can tell you that um, one of the challenges we're trying to solve is is that when the data size is does not really fit into memory, then you start paying high prices for the right amplification um, right. factor, right? So we, we've done some significant technology improvements into putting uh, some valuable structures in the cache, but the majority of the metadata in high scale is outside the cache. So we're harnessing our technology to keep those components in the cache, but to support the massive data that is out of the cache. Right, 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 right. So massive levels of indexing and, and that sort of stuff is required to support all this stuff. Um, so how is something like SpeedDB licensed or paid for? Is it is it, you know, is it just you get access, you know, you pay one flat fee and you get access to the 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 functionality and, and, and you're off and, go, and you go, or is it something like on a, on a per terabyte basis or? No, okay. So we, we have two pricing models and then I have uh, uh, some good news. So r right now we are selling closed source to, to OEMs and, and to end customer. If you're an OEM, we have the revenue share model. Um, like we did with Redis on Flash. Redis on Flash is working on SpeedDB instead of RocksDB. And then we, we have for end customers, which is price per node per month. Every node that you're using SpeedDB, you're paying a license. Um, but uh, very soon, we're going to go out with our open source version, 
because we realized that if we want to um, really get the market of the storage engines, if we, we really want to not do one by one the big customers, but get their, get the developers who are actually embedding the storage engine into the application, get them to use it, adopt it, and then use yeah. it on the enterprise in production, we need to have our open source version. So we're right now working on our open source version. It's, it's going to be open core. We're going to reveal some of the secret sauce to the open source. And then you're going to have an enterprise version that we're selling to that's closed source. So a closed source um, that you will be able to use in production. And that's coming really soon. Right, right, right. And then you offer enterprise level support things and that sort of stuff, right? Seven by twenty-four by three sixty-five kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. enterprise level support yeah. features scalability, extra performance boost. Um, some of our secret sauce is going to be there. So yeah, uh, exciting times ahead of us. Mm-hmm. So how you know how is something like an embedded solution like this sold? I mean, what's your go-to-market kind of thing? I mean, obviously your website and stuff like that. You. Yeah, I think one of the one of the challenges we had with our go to market is that um, the technology is is really great. When you test it, you see the magic happening, and great. One of the challenges is is how do you get to those clients? How do you speak to the people um, in those vendors um, that understand what you guys are doing, that understand the benefit, and that understand where this technology goes. Uh, the challenge was that uh, we are selling to developers. Yeah. The really um, um, C++ developers who are developing the storage engines and and those um, data structures and can actually uh, replace storage engines and understand the value of it. And um, these guys, they're not you know the typical um, CXOs or people in the organization that are buying. Right. 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 So um, what we did, we went to the CXOs, told them about the business benefits, and they would redirect us to the programmers that would test and then we would close deals. We realized that the path would be much shorter if we went out with our open source version. Um, Every one of those programmers is looking for effective solutions and technologies. And by enabling them to drop and replace very easily and test it, this would um, shorten the sales cycle. I would so, say the other place you might consider is a, uh, SNIA has a developer conference every year. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are lots of, uh, you know, I would say sizable application kinds of developers that go to these sorts of things. The other thing might be FAST conference. I don't know. Are you familiar with the Linux FAST conference? Yes. Jason, you must know about that, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think, you know, kind of another one on top of that is uh, like getting involved in like the CNCF as well, uh, Cloud Native Computing mm. Foundation. It yeah. seems like a, a good, good fit for it. Right, 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 right. All those that have, you know, fairly sizable development uh, audiences kind of associated with them and, and stuff like that. Huh. Yeah, definitely huh. the... The nice part about going open source or our decision to go open source is is the realization that um, we need to go bottom up. We need to talk to the community. We need to develop a a community. And lucky for us, there is a huge user base of RocksDB without real community out there. 
So thousands of customers using a software um, a software library that is not really supported. So there are many developers who are looking for 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 a solution. We think that SpeedyB can be great help to them, and we really want to um, harness our technology to build a community and to serve them what they need, uh, bug fixes, support, and allow them to contribute. Yeah, Better have yeah, yeah. thousands of you know developers who know what they need help you. And we think uh, that by getting to them and, and managing this community well, uh, we can really make a change. And uh, right. the organizations you just mentioned, like SNIA and FAST and CNCF are the place to go, I believe. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And the other thing I was thinking that you might, you know, given the advantages that you bring to the table, you'd think somebody like Facebook and LinkedIn and these big, huge RocksDB users would be chomping at the bit for something like this, right? Um, you would think. <laughs> um, I, I can't comment on that, but, but um, yeah. we, we haven't built SpeedyB to be sold to one of those giants. We, we've built it because we really want to make a change. Um, you know, we, um, we can maybe, you know, sell this to a giant cloud provider and um, make it, you know, do some, something for, for his own, but we really want to change this industry. We, we really want to, want to provide something to the market that will enable clients, different customers and the developers to do something else. And we want to build a, a large business. So, so we think that uh, the way there is not necessarily by, um, you know, talking to the big guys. We're not after the, you know, the quick cash. We want to change the market. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, far, the hyperscalers and mega data centers, they've got a real not invented here problem with most of their technology. No kidding. That yeah, too, probably. yeah. Probably. Yeah. Considering RocksDB was a Facebook thing, right? So, yeah. Um, there was something I It is still a Facebook thing. RocksDB is, a, is still a Facebook thing. It's, it's called open source, but when you look at it, um, 99 maybe percent of the contributors are from Facebook. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I had something else, but it slipped my mind. There she goes. All right, well, Jason, any last questions for ID before we close? Well, it's been very informative. Um, the uh, I think you got a, I think you've got uh, some good market opportunity. Like I said, having that big rocks DB community, I like get the mailing list and start spamming them. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. Don't do that. Jason. Don't tell them that stuff. Will you? Quit that. That doesn't source. really work with developers. <laughs> yeah. 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 You wouldn't think. That's true. They just, they just That's flush true. it down the toilet. Um, yeah, no, I remember I like, I was, the, I like I was, the community, that community involvement aspect is, is a really good, good, uh, call. I think a so, better way to I think go. It's, it's yeah, a good, yeah, good yeah. route to market. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I I was thought about, uh, so what about the response times and things like that? How does SpeedDB compare to RocksDB? And let's say, it, well, I guess the problem is the sharding. It kind of depends on the sharding factor and stuff like that. Is there, can you pr sh point to some sort of response time benefit from SpeedDB versus RocksDB? Um. The nice thing is that um, there is there is a very easy way to benchmark RocksDB. Now, there is a, a tool called dbbench, which is actually um, a benchmark developed by Facebook to benchmark RocksDB through various workloads. 
when you run this um, against SpeedyB in various workloads and data sizes, you really see the impact that 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 we do. So what what you see is that in small scales, um, we may be faster, um, but 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 it, you won't see a ra radical change. In large scale, the the larger your data set is, and I'm talking about thirty gig plus, then you really see the impact. Thirty gig of is not that large, Adi. For metadata, right? 30 gig starts to be large. And when, when you look at the metadata in those 30 gig, you may have um, billions of objects. Yeah. I when when you have those billions of keys, then it really becomes, it sounds small, but um, when the data grows, now 100 gig and 200 gig, which is not considered to be large in storage, but in metadata, when it doesn't yeah, fit yeah, into cache, it starts to be a problem. And then you actually right. see IOHANG stalls, slow response times. Um, the response time uh, is usually linear um, to the right amplification factor. So we see sometimes 10x improvement in the WAF. You'll see it in, in the response time. Yeah. All right. And the ability Anything to allow you to scale. Yeah. I'm Just sorry. one final Go thing: ahead. the ability to allow you to scale uh, on a single node without charting not only gives you the benefit of um, utilizing your hardware much better, you get better performance, better scalability, and less usage of memory and CPU, and allows you to reduce the amount of hardware you're using overall. So yeah, this I is a I saw major financial benefit. You had a benchmark of. Uh... It might have been RocksDB against SpeedDB with, uh, you know, different styles of Amazon compute engines. One, the SpeedDB was actually smaller and was able to produce better throughput, better response time and that sort of stuff than the RocksDB. Yeah, equivalent, in, right? in one of our first clients, we actually showed them that they could um, use a quarter size instance in Amazon and yet get twice the performance. So this is a factor of eight. Yeah, no way. one fourth the size of uh, the instance, and still get double the performance. Performance that is that is pretty yeah. impressive. All right, Adi, anything you'd like to say to our listening audience before we close? Uh, thanks for having me. It's it's really a pleasure to be talking to um, people who uh, understand this this problem, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to our next step, going open source and building a huge community. Uh, of people who uh, like to use um, a very scalable um, storage engine. Okay. Well, this has been great, Adi. Thanks for being on our show today. Thank you. Thanks for having That's me. That's it for now. Bye, Adi. And bye, Jason. Until next time. Next time, we will talk to another system storage technology person. Any questions you want us to ask, please let us know. And if you enjoy our podcast, tell your friends about it. Please review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, as this will help get the word out. 